What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the PropG Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of PropG Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back here, folks, on Big Blue Views Audio Network for another training camp update. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by Chris Flum and Nick Filato, breaking down the latest headlines coming from New York Giants training camp ahead of the 2021 season. And today's Friday episode, we've got a bit more news than I think we anticipated we'd be getting this early on into camp. And we've got injuries, we've got a fight that we have to touch on, and then we also have some surprising retirements that we're going to cover in today's episode. Before we get to that, though, folks, hit the subscribe button and also leave us a five-star review if you enjoy tuning into any of our podcasts within our audio lineup. The first injury that I was referencing, guys, is one to a very significant name on the roster, one that has high hopes and expectations coming into next season. That is Kenny Galladay. He's a hamstring pull. He is expected to be out two to three weeks. I believe the uh, article that you did, Chris, said that he pulled it during seven on seven. So not a very good time to pull it. But the one thing I will say, guys, is I'd rather see something like this happen now at the beginning of camp than it to happen at the end of camp and he has to miss the first two to three weeks of the season. This gives him time to take his time. We know that hamstring injuries tend to be nagging, so he can be careful with this. The team can properly monitor it, and hopefully he doesn't miss any more time throughout training camp that he can return with enough time to get ready for week one. That's the hope, right? I mean, these hamstring strains, they can be really, really tricky, and it's something that he's dealt with before in the past. Going back to 2017, he had a hamstring pull. He had the hip strain last year. He also had a a thigh hamstring injury. I think it was a grade two in the beginning of last year that held him out before he had the hip injury. So these are things that Kenny Galladay has dealt with throughout his entire career. And he's only, what, 27 years old right now. It's I'm definitely – I'm a little concerned, I guess you could say, because this is not the way you want to start your camp with your new team getting involved in the offense, building the rapport, albeit they did somewhat build a rapport during the offseason because Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay worked a lot together. But as you said, Joe, it's not – doom and gloom it's not the end of the world hopefully three weeks you know the giants are a very conservative organization three four weeks he can kind of get ingratiated back and then be ready by week one but overall it's still not a great bit of news yeah th- this is one that it certainly could be worse yeah I, I saw the video of it he it was a non-contact injury and usually when a player goes off the field after a non-contact injury you're holding your breath And I think as far as outcomes, this is probably about the best we could hope for. But, you know, like you said, Nick, hamstrings are tricky. They are prone to setbacks, prone to re-injury, and they can feel fine 
but not be fine. You really have to err on the side of caution for hamstrings. And you know, I hope the Giants do do that. Like you said, they are just consistently conservative in their approach to everything. So hopefully they will give him the time, maybe even hold him back a little bit and either not let him rush back or not push him to get back onto the field sooner rather than later. Because as you said, the last thing we need right now, or the last thing the Giants need, is for him to have a setback, have a re-injury, and miss the first two, three weeks, miss the first month of camp, or maybe even a more significant injury going up the kinetic chain, like that hip again, or you know, maybe some, something with his knees because you know maybe the muscle isn't quite strong enough again, and you know there's a little bit of instability. So, you know, things like that can happen. And that's what we really don't want to see. And I think that's something that some people might not realize when you're dealing with a hamstring injury like that. The hamstring's connected to a ton of stuff. And I know that none of us are are doctors here, but somebody who I've referenced this multiple times, I've dealt with my fair share of hamstring injuries. I've literally done the same exact thing that Kenny Galladay did. Now, he was moving probably at a much faster speed than I was, but I was doing uh, conditioning during winter uh, workouts and I pulled my hamstring and I wasn't able to run at full speed for about three weeks. And then when you kind of get back, it's very gradual. You can't just jump right back in. There's going to be times where it feels great. And then suddenly in the middle of a workout, it's going to start to bug you. And then you have to come off the field. You can't really push through it. It's not one of those types of things like maybe like an ankle where it's close to being fully healed you can power through it a little bit because it's just bothering you, but it's mostly fully healed. So this is something where if it's not approached properly, as you mentioned, Chris, it can lead to some problems with, with hip, lower lower back. A lot of things can, can come from it because of where it's connected to. So you do have to be careful with this, and I'm sure that they're going to be. It sucks to see that a high-priority free agent like Galladay, who we have high expectations for, is not going to be able to get those physical reps. But again, as I think we've we've all mentioned here, um, the timing is probably, if we're being optimistic, is probably the best for it to happen now early on in the season, in the preseason, rather than for it to happen at the end. So I, I, as much as it sucks to see a guy go down, those are the minor positives of not having Kenny Galladay on the field. Let's just hope... The- Let's just hope we're not singing the cranberries by like week five and being like, linger, please. <laughs> let it linger. That's the last thing we need. Just do not linger. Make sure he's fully ready for week one because we can't have a hobbled Kenny Galladay out there being the ex receiver who can't win those contested catches. It's uh, such a big investment by the New York Giants. We need this guy to be healthy. Yeah, hundred percent. Exactly. That and that. I think that's really what they're counting on offensively is to have that big ex receiver a guy who can challenge down the field, who can win in tight spaces and really allow Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Toney and Darius Slayton to play their natural roles. Yeah. And you also hope with all the money that they're spending on a guy like this, that he's on the field. That's always, <laughs> that's always an important part of it. And, and speaking of not being on the field, Levine Toilolo tears his Achilles during practice. And as we've seen with a lot of Achilles injuries, for some reason with the Giants over the last year or so, uh, he's going to be done pretty much for the year. He's not going to be returning. This, we know, is a very long recovery process. We've talked about on the show how there are a lot of instances where you're not really the same athlete as you were before when you're recovering from an Achilles injury. It just decreases your ability to be explosive 
after surgery. But I think the perspective that we need to approach now with Toy Lolo going down, who was, I guess, in competition for tight end three with Caden Smith, uh, who fills in right now for that spot? Do we just assume that it's going to be Caden Smith and that there's no competition behind it? What do you guys think? I think it, I think it was going to be Caden Smith over Levine Toy Lolo anyways. I think the Giants value Levine Toy Lolo's special team snaps, but they also value the fact that he is a much bigger body type of blocker and they would trust him, I think, to block bigger bodied outside linebackers and defensive ends. Now, I watched a lot of Giants film last year and I saw a lot of Levine Toy Lolo on the ground. To, to be honest with you, but I still think the Giants uh, appreciated his leadership and what he brought. Kane Smith, to me, is a totally different type of player than Levine Toilolo, and they loved using him in that tracer-sniffer type of role on the uh, on the GF counterplay that they love to run. So I think Caden Smith, unless Colin Gillespie or Elijah Penny really stepped up and earned that role, I think he's going to be safe in that specific role. And now that Levine Toilolo is injured, I don't even think Caden Smith uh, – I don't even think he, there's an opportunity for him, the Giants, not to select him. But what there is an opportunity for, Chris, is somebody else to step up and fill Levine Toilolo's shoes. And I don't know, uh, do you have anybody in mind, my friend? I'm not exactly sure. You know, I don't see anybody who really jumps out to me on their current roster. If Caden Smith has improved his blocking over the offseason, you know, maybe he could take that role in like the 13 personnel packages. But I wouldn't be surprised at all to see the Giants look around and look at the free agents still on the market, maybe keep an eye on the waiver wire and see who shakes loose from another team. If a guy who has a background as a big blocking tight end you know, is maybe able or maybe out there to be scooped up to just directly slot into that role. And as we've seen with some of these other injuries and, and retirements and, and things along those lines, the Giants have been very active to replace those players. So there's a pretty good chance, I would say, that they do try to go and snag another tight end to bring him in just to add some competition. Now, whether or not that player actually competes for this spot or if it's just depth, that remains to be seen who's even available to do that. Maybe, as, as you were saying, Chris, maybe someone just randomly gets cut that is a, a decent quality option. Maybe they bring back Kelvin Benjamin. Now we know we're not, not going to happen. <laughs> well, but. We, he's definitely got the size. <laughs> yes, he certainly has the size. Yeah, uh, we, we know he definitely has the weight after after uh, what it, we know what happened with his exodus. <laughs> I would say that uh, the Giants have a couple interesting converts on their roster, people who are slotted to play tight end but used to play other positions, similar to Kelvin Benjamin, only I guess these guys are adhering to weight protocol. And that's Ryson John, who was on the COVID list recently, he actually still might be there. And he's a kid from Simon Fraser who was undrafted, big body wide receiver that they converted to tight end. They brought him in in uh, 2020 and there's still interest there. And there's also Tommy Stevens, who was a quarterback in college at Penn State. I think he was the backup to Trace McSorley. Uh, and then he ended up transferring to Mississippi State. He's another big body type of guy that the Giants, I think, just brought in. So if those guys can really kind of show, like, hey, I can hold up at the point of attack adequately enough against, you know, a 250-pound outside linebacker and start blocking some of the Giants' edges in a solid manner, then they could possibly be entertained because they also have versatility, which we know this coaching staff values. Yeah, and I just happened to peek out onto the, you know, uh, no reason. I just peek at the currently available free agent tight ends. And I got to say, the only one who really jumps out at me as a name is Tyler Eifert. And, you know, he has been in decline. He only lasted one year with the 
Jacksonville Jaguars. He's 31, but he could be a guy the Giants could look at just as a veteran to bring in on maybe a, a league minimum salary. Demetrius Harris, how did you disrespect him like that? <laughs> My apologies. Yeah, I'm not even sure if Tyler Eifert really fits with, with what they're looking for. You never know, though. That might be a phone call that they, they actually make. They'd have two Notre Dame tight ends, which would be uh, a bit funny if that ends up working out <laughs> like that. But we'll, we'll see if they end up bringing somebody else in. I'm sure that we'll have the time to hop on the pod and discuss it uh, if that does end up happening. So stay tuned for an update on that. Uh, we're going to get to talking about the giant brawl that broke out at the end of practice early on in the week. Before we do so, we're going to take a really short commercial break. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Property Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. So guys, on the first day of PADS, we end up seeing something that is a, a common occurrence for most training camps at any level of football, which was a brawl. It ends practice. Coach Joe Judge was not very happy with this happening at the end of practice, ends up putting the guys in the line, has them sprint, uh, has them do a lot of running after getting into this large altercation. Subsequently, and we're going to talk about this in a second, you have two guys retire a little bit after this punishment and the brawl, but I'm going to come out here and say this. Uh, I think that this is less of a big deal than people realize I have been participant, a participant and also an active observer of multiple team brawls on a field. It just happens. It's training camp. You're hitting guys every day. It's hot. You are impatient. You're stubborn. You're tired. Someone does something you don't like. You're going to swing and everybody else is in a fighting mood. So it usually leads to stuff like this. It's just part of it. And Logan Ryan even tweeted it out. Like we're good. It's just part of uh, being a team and being a family. Get it out of the way now. It's going to happen eventually. Absolutely. And it happens at all levels of football too. Obviously, you don't want to see it in like clinic football with like eight-year-olds. But these are <laughs> – That, that getting, could be great to see. <laughs> when you start getting up to adult ages in college and everything, I mean that's a very common thing to happen. And I think it was just a great bit of um, – because a lot of these early training camp – uh, practices. There's not that much to glean from it. And a big brawl like this happening is great for content. It's great for, you know, clicks and stuff like that. And it's also important news, but I think at the end of the day, there's not that much to read into it. I think Jabril Peppers and Xavier McKinney's and Evan Ingram are going to be absolutely fine. I think the one part of it that kind of caught my eye and made me be like, okay, that's not something you ever want to see is that the quarterback was at the bottom of the pile. And that's not because the defense was attacking him or anything like that, anything ridiculous. But at the end of the day, he was trying to kind of break it up. And when tempers are flying and people are pushing each other, all it takes is somebody to trip over someone's feet and fall awkwardly onto your quarterback's knee who is amongst that scrum inadvertently. And then you have a problem on your hands. That's one thing that I was like, okay, that cannot happen. Joe Judge feels the same way. 
I think Daniel Jones wanted to get in on it. I think he, I think he wanted to throw some punches. That was why he was at the bottom. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if Daniel Jones wants to be in a scrum. Like <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta say, if, if there's 300 pound dudes throwing hands, I'm not getting in there. That's just me, though. <laughs> but I gotta say, like as far as the fight goes, you know, these things happen. It is just a fact of life at, in that moment. Just it's camp. It's hot. Tempers flare. Like you guys say, it happens. It's really no big deal. The only thing I really worry about is just injuries. Like you say, Daniel Jones wound up in the bot at the bottom of the pile. He could get hurt and have absolutely nobody mean it to happen. You know, you could have, you know, some guy throw a punch and break a bone in his hand on another guy's helmet or pads. I mean, it's just things like that that, yeah, you're probably not thinking about in the moment. They, they can and do happen. And to me, that's my concern. The other thing I just want to layer that I want to throw in here, and, and this is, I'm sure some people are going to say like, what, what, why are you going this deep into the fight? But I, I guess the last thing I want to talk about with this, with this brawl, if this had been an altercation between two players and nobody had backed each other up, I would probably be, be more concerned because that means nobody's there for each other. And they're, they're not there to back the guys that are in their position group. And, uh, their offense or d- defensive squad. But the fact that everybody convened into one altercation, I know this is just a weird angle to take. I, I think that, and then this is for anybody who's saying that this, the, the fight overall is a team chemistry issue. I look at it as if guys are willing to go to bat and fight for each other on both ends, that just shows to me that guys are willing to fight for each other. They're willing to go out there. And I know it's such a strange example to be going to, but because it was a group fight, I'm not worried if it was like a one-on-one or a one-on-ten, which we we see happen, like the Martellus Bennett fight that happened, I think, five or so years ago where it was him against a bunch of defensive players. The fact that it was kind of like a group orientation and guys were coming together, that just means guys are, are willing to stand up for each other. And yeah. that's what you want to see. You want to see guys that come and rally that if something like that happens in a game, they're there, they're there to support each other. And we see that in the games too. How many times did Nick Gates get into somebody's face and be like, yo, you're going to smell my breath right here and I'm going to put my face mask <laughs> right through your skull. I mean, that happened quite a bit and I loved every second of it. And this was a hit. It wasn't even like a hit on Saquon Barkley, obviously, or a hit on a big player. It was a hit on Corey Clement. And I like Corey Clement, but Evan Ingram took exception to that hit. I get why I think it was Xavier McKinney through that hit. He's a young player. you know. He wants to you know, give a little bit of pop. He hasn't popped somebody in a while. And then I understand fully why Logan Ryan stuck up for his guys. So you nailed it right there, Joe. The last thing I just want to hit on here, and I, I think that this has uh, significance because it, we had a couple guys retire. I think if it was just one, we probably would quickly touch on it. But we we have Joe Looney, who we spoke on Tuesday, the importance of that signing. And we also spoke on the importance of signing Todd Davis, uh, a linebacker, to this giant squad. Both of them retire. Now, if there's any connection to the, the punishment and all that stuff, we can't really say that for certain. But it is a bit odd that after just a short period of time, both of these guys end up deciding to end their careers. They not they are not necessarily in their late 30s to a point where it didn't make much sense why they were still playing. They were at a, a, a somewhat younger age, but at that close to that 30 number, deciding to retire. Do you guys think this is a bit odd that they didn't last very long within the Giants camp? Is this kind of a thing where you can look at it as the Giants are good at weeding out people that don't fit the culture and they just didn't feel like they belonged because it was a, it was a tough environment for them. Like, what do you guys think of these retirements just because of the oddity and the timing? I think uh, Joe judge has a specific way of coaching. It's, it's very demanding. 
and it, it may not be for everybody. And I know a lot of players have spoken out about that in in reference to sticking up for Joe Judge because it seems like a lot of people are somewhat attacking his philosophy because he's a uh, Bill Belichick disciple and Todd Davis, Joe Looney kind of felt it out for a little bit and they said, you know what, it's it's not for me. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think that he's, they're getting ran out of town or anything like that. But sometimes you see some of these guys, you know, say, hey, you know, let me try this opportunity, see if I want to actually go out there and play football. You know, the experience three or four days of training camp, which is grueling wherever you go, not just with Joe Judge. And they say, you know what, actually, I don't really have the passion for this and I'm done. And it looks like that's what happened. We're not having core people leave. We're not having core people speak out against the head coach right now. But it's a very demanding training camp, which is something that a few years ago we would have welcomed, to be honest, under Pat Shermer and under Ben McAdoo. So there's a give and take there. There's you know pros to it and there are cons to it. And as long as everybody who is important and you know everybody who makes this roster buys in, then I'm all about it. But you're going to have to start winning football games. And that's kind of – if you don't win football games in the NFL, you're going to run yourself out of town. And that's specifically something that is going to happen if you have this really hard-nosed approach as well. Yeah, I, I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, at a certain point, you need to win football games. And I mean, you know, good wins, not just beating the Bengals without Joe Burrow or, you know, almost maybe backing into winning a division that's basically a dumpster fire. I mean, you know, going out and competing with the good teams in the league, you know, competing with the Ravens, competing with the Buccaneers, competing with the Chiefs, and winning at least some of those games if the wins don't start coming i think that's when we start to have a problem because eventually guys are going to start to look at this and say you know is there a pattern here you know we had how colombo left the team last year and have you know kelvin benjamin basically get cut in his the middle of his first practice then you have veterans be here for basically a cup of coffee and then leave football altogether. And you know, now we just had a an update from a press conference today with uh Jason Garrett scolding reporters for not calling him coach. That I think if the Giants start winning and competing consistently, all of this is, you know, it, it's no big deal. It's just things that happen. But if they don't start winning, I think that's when the questions start to come. I think that's when the questions will start to come from the players. You know, like uh, Tom Coughlin, when he first got to New York, he was an absolute disciplinarian. You know, if you were on time, you got fined. And he started to lose the locker room. And then, you know, we all know the story. He softened up a little bit. He started to open up to the players and treat them like men as opposed to just interchangeable parts and you know almost you know characters on a video game screen although that's a uh, <laughs> I don't think that's a comparison that really has ever occurred to Tom Coughlin and that was when things really turned around for the Giants and he became the Super Bowl winning coach yeah he then you know, he leaves the Giants he goes down to Jacksonville and he kind of starts up with the disciplinarian I don't want to say act, but he started being in that mode again as the Jaguars president, and they didn't win. And he winds winds up getting fired because players are actively staying away from that franchise because they just don't want to deal with him. So I think 
as long as this bears fruit for the Giants, if Joe Judge's style bears fruit, they start winning and do so consistently, it will be absolutely fine. It will be you know a tough but fair culture. And- especially, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say, especially with players like Logan Ryan and Leonard Williams and James Bradbury buying into the system and those older players who have been there for now, it seems like a little while, even though Logan Ryan has been here for about a year. But those guys who bring championship pedigree, if, if they continue to buy in to the system, that's going to be excellent for Joe Judge and hopefully show some resilience if this team does go down a dark path. Yeah, because th- I think the last thing they need is for if things don't go the Giants' way, especially early, if the locker room starts to fracture and he keeps pushing and maybe even pushes harder and it starts to come off as you know almost an insecurity type thing that is when things will i think spiral out of control if that happens yeah and i i I can get how there's just a lot of things that can certainly play into this and i don't think it's a bad thing though necessarily just to to wrap this up to you know lose guys that maybe don't feel like they can fit in within the culture there are with any sport you'll hear coaches say that there's certain guys that are motivated by being screamed at like Joe judge does. And there's certain guys that are not I like bill Belichick. I've, I've heard talk about that a lot where he knows. And like, you can hear Nick Saban talk about it too, where they say that, you know, which guys you have to talk to in a certain manner. And we saw this recently happen with Kelvin Benjamin where he's upset and he's, he's saying that, Oh, Joe judge is never going to win a super bowl because of the way he's, he's yelling at everyone. He's acting like a know-it-all. I think that this current core group would rather have somebody who's on their ass and motivating them, them than somebody who's just going to stand there and watch watch patiently. And as you were kind of touching on, Chris, we can't really have a, a true determining um, thought on if, if that works for this team or not until we see success on the field. Last year was good, but we're yet to see it translate into tangible results, which is winning records, winning the division, making the playoffs, all that stuff. We still have to see what comes from that coaching approach. Yeah, exactly. And you know, Joe Judge is still, I think, growing as a head coach. You talk about Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. They have more than earned their stripes. And there really is no one way to coach a winning team. I mean, you know, I don't know that we've seen Andy Reid or Mike Tomlin screaming at players and they have certainly had success. You know, Joe Judge has to find the right way to coach and teach for him, and also the right way to coach and teach for his players, as well as getting the guys who work well with him. Well, folks, that's going to be it for today's episode of uh, a training camp update here on Big Blue View. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any more updates on injuries, news, headlines, anything. Hit the subscribe button. Also head to BigBlueView.com for more Giants news and analysis. Talk to you soon, folks. Enjoy the rest of your week.
What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.